0: We'll be the best and you got to pay low price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do the little extra things to get it.
1: Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host Jordan Rodriguez and with me as always my fabulous co-host Rich Haven Rich. And it's a lateral to Odell Beckham Jr. He drops back, right handed, 40 yards down. It's Cam Akers, he is wide open downfield. Oh, look like he came back under it a little bit. Rich, how we doing?
2: Wow, that was great. We got to put that, I hope somebody puts that over the video clip of the touchdown and puts it on Twitter because I want to hear, I want to see your play-by-play debut. <laughs> that was amazing. I don't know whether you saw on uh, on Twitter last night. Or, I did. Or good,
1: that's why I did it. <laughs> yeah,
2: Derek, Derek, our good friend uh, said that uh, o- Odell's pass hung up in the air longer than, than Jordan's. Rich, how you doing at the start of 11 personnel? So that really made me laugh last night. I, I did super, super enjoy that so um, Jordan we're, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday morning I admire and appreciate you as Sean McVeigh might say for uh, for rousing yourself I if I were you I would still be sound asleep right now I don't know how, how much sleep did you get you, you couldn't have gotten home at a at a good time last night
1: uh, three and a half hours but I'm kicking and raring to go I'm gonna show you how much <laughs> coffee I have.
2: Oh man. Don't wow. worry.
1: I'm yeah. on a 1 to 1 <laughs> coffee to water ratio. I also got my Hydro Flask sitting next to me. Um yeah, you know what? That was uh that was a game. I mean, that was not that was uh certainly probably not uh, the entertaining back and forth shootout that perhaps the programmers who put it on the schedule might have wanted from that game. Um, But it was a truly, uh, it legitimately was an historic performance for the Rams on the defensive side of the ball, particularly through the first three quarters. And it was a really solid outing from the Rams offense. What happens when they play clean within themselves, aggressive uh, complexity of layers within the passing game and the run game, uh, diversity in the run game. You love to see it. And uh, certainly uh, just an absolute, just, I'm just going to say it, just, ass whooping on defense. I mean that was just a remarkable plan put together by Raheem Morris and the defensive staff. Um, the pressure diversity of pressure um, from the front seven, the back end, uh, making things really muddy for Kyler Murray even when he did break free a little bit and have a chance to get downfield. just very very assertive the type of performance that set a new bar I think for for this defense.
2: Yeah, uh not what I saw coming, especially in a, in a third matchup between these teams in a season. Uh it it was so uh different in terms of what the Rams were able to accomplish and doing it we have so much to talk about here, Jordan, but you know, doing it without both of your starting safeties and and having fill in, you know, having Troy Reeder as your green dot uh <laughs> filling in there for, for Jordan Fuller. So many things that could have gone wrong for this Rams defense uh and would have been easy to understand had they gone wrong, uh, all went right. I mean, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about Cam Akers coming back and playing such a big role, uh, yes. looking better than I ever expected that he would, even if I thought he could be able to play. Uh, we need to talk about uh, Sean McVeigh and some good play calling, a good strategy and, and sticking to it. Jordan, you covered all of these things in your column, The Pile, which is a great read. It's always Playoff a great pile. read. Playoff <laughs> pile. Uh, but really, really broke it down. It's it's a very, very uh, I, I use the word tight in writing. I don't know whether people understand what that means, but it's it's very focused. It's a very <laughs> good breakdown of a game that had a lot going on. So please go ahead and check that out on what, the athletic. what is what's that?
1: Oh, thank you, Rich. Sorry, um, I've got an internet lag, guys. And my computer saga continues. So I accidentally will I accidentally cut Rich off. Not That's like okay. I usually on purpose <laughs> cut Rich off. But, um, Rich, what what was the tightness relative to defensive tarts?
2: Oh, I mean, it, it was like a whole bakery of, of tight tarts. I mean, it was, they were just coming off of the, I have no idea how this works. I'm totally making this up, but I envisioned them coming off of like a conveyor belt and it's, it's just tight tart after tight tart. Amazing, amazing. Uh, but uh, so please do check that out. I mean, there was a lot going on in that game and, and Jordan broke it down. But uh, Jordan, first of all, to, to set the table, uh, Rams at Tampa Bay this coming Sunday, uh, I want to first congratulate you on uh, getting Tampa Bay instead of Green Bay in January with that The, the latter still might happen the following week, but uh, at least you can uh, uh, pack the warm weather clothes instead of the uh, three parkas. Um, but also it's a big week around the league uh for some of these uh coach interviews whether it be for uh, head coaching positions and things like that and of course if it's that season the Rams are involved so uh Jordan what do we know briefly about some of these people i know going back to the last few weeks you reported on people like Eric Henderson uh who are going to be in consideration but as as we go into this week that which is really important for these guys uh what do we know about some of them
1: yeah, so three coaches right now in consideration are in the cycle for head coaching interviews. Kevin O'Connell, Ram's offensive coordinator. Um, and he he's got a couple interview requests. um Thomas Brown, assistant Ram's assistant head coach and running backs coach, um, he's got a head coaching interview. Um Raheem Morris also uh, got his first interview request. Um, reported on that this morning right before we jumped on this podcast. It's uh, early, not not early for, for some. For me, it is early <laughs> Tuesday morning. Um, you know, we don't have injury updates yet, but we definitely have coaching search updates. Pretty stunned that that was Raheem Morris's first request considering um, the job he's done, especially I think since the bye week with this group. Um, that was kind of a point where they really began to, bring on more of that assertive identity. You knew that the regression was going to happen early in the year, but you really saw schematically the plan start to get really um, interesting and and technical. Um, And and I think that was fair, you know, him coming in also running this system for the first time in his career, um, having to learn it, but also having to teach it, got a lot of attrition from, from player loss and all, all that kind of stuff injuries. So really honestly just, and we're going to break it down, but l- literally, guys, historic <laughs> defensive performance and a lot of that, you know, it's obviously execution by players, but a lot of that's also absolutely the game plan and how smart of a plan and uh, like just really kind of deadly it was really the the point of it to affect Kyler Murray first and foremost um, to, to just make his life miserable in and out of the pocket and then to to be really muddy on the back end with an intricate uh, defensive backfield scheme. Um, Chris Weddle's savvy being a good part of that without their veteran safeties, but also Troy Reader calling those checks. You know, it, it really was just outstanding. And to, to not, for him, here, here's the problem I have. For him to only get his first head coaching interview after putting up an historic performance in the playoffs in prime time, despite the fact that for weeks, if not you know years, people have been rightfully going to going to bat for this guy in terms of how he is as a leader of men, how he is as um, a communicator, how he is as a coach, how he is as a person, um, for that first interview to not come until after. You he put he literally designed an historic plan. Um, that is one of the huge problems I have with this coaching search and why it's um, systemically flawed. And we and we know that now. As it comes to the other guys, um, they're you know they're cycling in the conversation. I think that the real concern, the one that you really need to watch, is that not just Thomas Brown and not just Kevin O'Connell, but the two in tandem. Because what teams do during this time of year is they also, they also, when they look for uh coaches, and if especially if it's a team that, you know, kind of like the Vikings are doing, like the Broncos are doing, if they're cycling through a lot of candidates and making that clear that they're cycling through a lot of candidates, they're not just looking for a head coach. They're also trying to match a coach with a coordinator. And so you also are in danger of, you know, let's say they pick a different, you know, each either the Dolphins or the Broncos or whoever, Vikings, they pick a a different coach other than one of those two names as their hire for head coach, they then still could pair one of the other two guys, Kevin or Thomas, could pair him uh with that coach that they hire. And it's, you know, in some cases, in Kevin's case, it would be a lateral move and Sean McVay would have the option of then blocking it or not. Um, In Thomas Brown's case, there's nothing you can do about it. And I also think that um, in that case, you have to really consider how much do you want and need to keep Thomas Brown around, which in my opinion is you really need to keep that guy around. Um, I do think Kevin O'Connell should get an opportunity to call plays. I think Thomas Brown should get an opportunity to call plays. You can't have both on the Rams, certainly not under Sean McVay. So there's going to be like a really delicate balance that they strike here. And then I also would keep an eye on a Evero. Um, You know, he has worked with in the past and developed quite a friendship with a couple of the guys in this cycle, most prominently Nathaniel Hackett, who is up for a couple of different coaching positions. The two are like best buds and Ijiro knows and runs the defense that Hackett would almost certainly want to implement um if he did if he does get a head coaching job so this is all the the complex like, sort of wheels and cogs in motion and, and sort of the the shadow whispers and everything that are, that's happening right now. And interviews can start taking place obviously through the playoffs. So just something to keep an eye on. And then also with, with Eric Henderson, the Rams are facing uh, a little bit of a, I guess a quandary because, you know, the Florida, he was a, a top target for the Florida job was the target for the Florida job. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, Timing of that with a coach in the playoffs, particularly at his position in the playoffs, just really does not work out. Um, So that job goes to another person. And Eric Henderson's in a contract year. So you really have to, you know, you really have to start deciding, like, okay, at what point do we start to have those conversations with people, particularly, you know, 14 pressures by the Rams defensive line, getting pressure by young guys. Pressure by their like third string interior linemen against the Cardinals first string offensive line late in the fourth quarter. I mean, you saw that the end of that game, all of the backups were in, including, you know, Bobby Brown and, and they were getting pushed. They were getting pressure. That's directly reflective of, um, not just the, the scouting department finding those guys, but also, um, Eric Henderson and Marcus Dixon help, helping to develop them. So it's all, I mean, You'd really like to focus just solely on the playoffs, and I assure you these coaches are doing that. Um, in my conversations with them, they they certainly are are 100% doing that. But it also is that time of year where these things are going to happen, these conversations are going to happen.
2: Yeah, and it's i mean kind of the trite, simple thing to say is that it's a good problem to have, right? I mean, if you're a 4-13 team, nobody's going to be trying to poach your assistant coaches. We say that every year, uh, but at the same time, you you do worry about it. I mean, these assistant coaches are very important. You see uh, the development of these certain positions. You talk about the defensive front. You talk about the work that Thomas Brown has done with the running backs. You talk about the work that giro has done over the years. I mean, these are very valuable coaches, and uh, certainly 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 they have earned the right to to move on to bigger roles if if those come up and you would never want to hold them back you would never hold it against them to to further their careers Uh, but at the same time I I think you you, you want to avoid if you're a franchise you want to avoid this idea that oh anybody is replaceable it's it's fine if anybody moves on because uh, we can just bring in somebody else to do the job well yeah I mean that that is possible and the Rams have shown over the years that they do have the ability to bring in uh, they brought in Eric Henderson at one point. They brought in Thomas Brown. So yes, they do have the ability to go out and identify other uh, young up and coming coaches and, and put them in those roles. But uh, you you worry about that a little bit continuity. These are very popular coaches, very uh, big part of the culture uh, of the Rams over the last couple of years. So uh, if there is an opportunity to keep them, whether it might be through an increased title, whether it might be through some increased responsibilities, a little more on the uh, paycheck every two weeks, maybe, uh, uh, those are things that you that you can do sometimes to uh, make a difference and, and maybe keep those guys for another year. So it's definitely a difficult balance, and uh, but it, you definitely want to see. Uh, those coaches be in a position to do that. So uh, the Raheem Morris thing is is really interesting, uh, Jordan. And and you've seen his name come up, and you see some criticism. Oh, he was a he was a failure the first time as a head coach. Or people bring up his the the Rams' defensive stats from this year. Well, they they were just an average defensive team. It's a really complicated thing, Jordan. Uh, to me, uh, I don't think you can look and say, oh, he was a failure as a head coach the first time. Well, Bill Belichick was a failure the first time. Pete Carroll was a terrible failure. I mean, this these things happen. You can't judge one, and those are just two. I, you could probably go down the list and find 10 or 12 more. Uh, you can't judge somebody based on, on one job like that, especially a first job. And the other thing about this Rams defense, and Jordan, you've done such an amazing job of, of chronicling it throughout the year, but wow, has it been... I don't even want to say up and down because that that suggests a certain. Uh, it's it's not really about inconsistency, but you've seen quite an evolution from this defense from from week to week or throughout the season, and I, I don't know whether. Uh, we really know what to expect for, from week to week. Uh, some of that has been personnel. Some of it has been the opponent. Uh, some of it has been injuries. Uh, there, there's been a lot of moving parts here. Some of it, as you said, Jordan, has just been Raheem Morris in his first year as a defensive coordinator here trying to take over what was a very successful unit and a very su- uh, successful scheme and and putting his own tweaks into it. So I, I, I feel like this it's been a little bit of a roller coaster here where you, you never know know where the next turn is going to take you, but I'll tell you what, uh, this is where you want to be at this point of the season. I mean, that was all things considered, uh, considering the opponent, considering injuries, uh, considering the the intensity of a playoff game. You cannot ask for a much better defensive performance than that. I don't think Arizona played a good game. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be happy going into the, into the offseason uh, with the way that they ended there. Um, so I'm not saying that the Rams went out and dominated a great team uh, or a team that was playing well. Arizona did not play a good game, Uh, but that to me doesn't detract from the fact that the Rams, with all these moving parts, with all these injuries, uh, with an opponent who knows them very well, went out and played what I would have to consider, all things considered, probably their best defensive performance of the year. I don't know whether you agree with that, Jordan.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was writing that column Yesterday, Rich, I literally had to stop and reread that first section talking about the defense because some of the statistics were mind-blowing. I mean, it didn't it didn't seem like it was real, you know, the the Rams had 21 points before the Cardinals had their first first down. Um <laughs> things like uh, on their first four consecutive drives they they held the Cardinals to net minus four yards which means the negative plays clearly you know obviously negative plays outweighed positive plays in that regard um you know just two sacks just hassling and hassling the quarterback it just was really incredible and particularly I think that the magnitude of that accomplishment, it looks really nice and it looks shiny and pretty on paper and especially was exciting in person to watch. But the magnitude of it really lies in what they did through the week of practice and preparation because they had to overhaul their secondary through the first part of the week and they coaxed Chris – or excuse me, I know a guy named Chris Weddle, so I keep calling Eric Weddle Chris Weddle. Um, they they had to coax 37-year-old Eric Weddle out of retirement to join this team although I don't think it took much convincing on their yeah. end cuz he is fired up and ready to go and he's been he's been a blast to talk to and deal with this week um to to fill in as depth at safety because their two starting safeties are out and you don't have much depth behind them they they run a lot of sub package work you had nobody to fill those spaces signed a couple of practice squad guys to just you know as an emergency option and they were down to their you know Two two top corners in Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams. David Long gets hurt first, securing a really great play, probably the best one of the best of his career. Uh, pick six there in the in the first half, and you know they're down. They're starting inside linebacker and Ernest Jones, even fully knowing that teams will try to key in on their inside linebacker on that second level of their defense, as we talked about last time. You know it it just was that level that preparation and that readiness i mean they that's part of the reason you can assert to that level and be aggressive to that level and and do the thing that we talked about a couple podcasts ago pin your ears back to that level not just because you have an early lead not just because you're able to hold and efficiently manage and operate through that lead on the offensive side but also because on the defensive side you are just smothering and you can feel it you could see it in Aaron Donald um and von miller were talking yesterday after the game about how it was so clear that kyler murray was bothered and this is a quarterback who the entire week everybody was talking about how great he is in big games and and how they expected him to be you know at his best and he he was perhaps at his worst and a lot of that was the rams getting a 42% pressure rate the highest of kyler's career ever and he's never had a pressure rating rate in a game of over 30%. So, and that's a, according to Next Gen Stats. So, that is that 12%, that's extra effort, extra planning, extra creativity in the design. That's, you know, Raheem Morris and Eric Henderson up front working that design. Um, that's on the back end, Jonathan Cooley, Jiro Evero, it's Chris Shula in the middle. Um, it's just it just was so cohesive and so uh, devastating for the Cardinals offense. And I think a lot of that little detail work, particularly what I said before, how you could see even when Kyler had a, thought he had a throw, you could see how the defensive backfield made things muddy. That's what Brandon Staley's defense did all last year. That's what that secondary did. Really, really smart play. They muddied the waters for the quarterback, just giving that pressure an extra half second um, or even forcing those throwaways because you just weren't quite sure what you were looking for. I mean, that was smart, sound defensive football, and it was aggressive and, you know, yes, you don't know necessarily whether this is going to be the same defense that shows up next week and the week after. But honestly, I'll say, you know, since that that bye week and especially Minnesota, Baltimore, you really saw have been seeing impressive efforts from this defense.
2: Yeah, and it really is. I think I used the word evolution a few minutes ago, and and I think that's what it is. And I think it's it's going to continue for as long as the Rams uh, end up playing here, whether it's three more games or whether it's fewer than that. Um, facing Tom Brady this week is is different than facing Kyler Murray, and I don't mean that better, worse, or whatever. It's it's just different. He's a completely different quarterback. He has different skill set. He has way more experience. But there's other things where you know Kyler is more athletic, for instance. Um, so I. I don't necessarily think you look at it and say, oh, well now they have found the formula. Now they know exactly what they need to do. Um, it's, it's going to change. And, and I think that's been kind of the story of this whole season is you, you need to evolve against some of the opponents that you face. Uh, they've already obviously beaten Tampa Bay once this season. It's, it's going to be hard to do it again. It's hard to knock Tom Brady out of the playoffs. And uh, the Rams are very aware of that. I, I know Sean McVay still has nightmares probably about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and and uh, in, on a different team, uh, ending his season a couple years ago. So, um, but it, it's it's about that game plan, and then of course it's about executing it, Jordan. And and the one thing that I I took away, I know we mentioned this maybe a couple weeks ago uh, about this Rams defense, and and I think you could say this about a lot of teams. Uh, but but specifically grabs me about this Rams defense is you know what you're going to get from Aaron Donald, you know what you're going to get from Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you pay these guys to be your top players, your leaders, they are going to bring it every week no matter what. But when you see those contributions from guys down the lineup, David Long making the big play on a pick six, uh, a guy like Marquise Copeland is only in the game for 15 plays, I think, and and ends up making a very alert interception off of a deflection. Troy Reader, who we've talked a lot about, positive and negative at times, gets the pressure that leads to that David Long uh, play. Nick Scott steps in, uh, makes a huge play on uh, what I believe was the play right before the pick six uh, yes. that w- that was yep. reviewed huge play to, to knock the ball free. Traven Howard steps in. Traven Howard's a guy I've liked for a long time uh, and and gets an opportunity to play more and plays a very good game. These are the guys who are going to make a difference. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, guys like that, uh, you know, veterans, Ashawn Robinson, whoever it may be, uh, you know what you're going to get from them on a week-to-week basis. But when you can get these contributions from these other guys and they all step up and make big plays, that's going to be the big difference. And, and And credit the coaches, all of them who you mentioned, uh, for putting those guys, for having the game plan, for putting all of those guys in the right positions uh, to make those plays, and then credit them for making them. I mean, every one of those guys who I mentioned uh, had had a big, big contribution in that game.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: We'll see what happens going forward here. Uh, Jordan, as we've said a couple times, just so people are clear, we're recording on Tuesday uh, morning. We're obviously going to get some injury. I know there's a lot of questions immediately after the game. How's Andrew Whitworth? Uh, how's David Long? Is is Taylor Rapp going to be able to come back? Uh, all of these things will will play out, and of course, Jordan will be all over them during the week, so make sure you follow along on Twitter, at JordanRodrigue. Uh, but I, I think Think Jordan that that combination, and you don't know what's going to happen from week to week. But man, if you can get those kind of complementary players, those, those non-stars, so to speak, uh, to play like that, the way they did against the Cardinals, I mean that that's going to be a tough defense to beat.
1: Yeah, it's going to be complicated, and that group they throw things out. And Matthew Stafford touched on this yesterday. Um, they every week he says, because he's a veteran quarterback and defenses know he's a veteran quarterback and he's seen just about everything, um, they'll throw new things at him. They'll try different things um, to try to see if they can rattle him or knock him off course. Um, and so he's expecting that fully. That is a tough group. That's going to be a tough out and it only gets tougher from there because whoever, <laughs> if they get past this one, whoever, the winner of Green Bay San Francisco is, uh, is, that's that's also looming on the horizon as well. And I think so, you know, you have to be at your best in that regard. And and this game, this is going to be a tough matchup. The Rams, yes, have beat these guys two years in a row. And the importance of what I was talking about earlier with muddying the waters for the quarterback, um, even if you're not necessarily getting those sacks, a little bit of pressure plus muddied waters on the back end for the quarterback that was what affected Tom Brady in the first t- the first time that the this group played. Um, you remember Jordan Fuller, another pick number one ninety nine, who unfortunately for the Rams won't be playing in this playoff game um, since he'll be out for the year with the ankle injury. But picked off Tom Brady twice, uh, exactly off of those scenarios. And in fact, one of them you just look it looked like he just threw the ball right to him, right. Um, and, and that's that's what the effect of, of a secondary that's doing those types of things in a, at a high level can do. And, you know, it's it's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be physical. You know, the, the the Bucks are a little bit beat up up front right now. But again, it's the playoffs. So people will strap on clubs and braces and whatever they can in order to to gut through and play. Um, but this one is going to really test the Rams. And, and I don't think Tampa forgets either that the Rams first quote unquote statement win of the year came in primetime or I don't remember actually what time it was I don't think it was primetime it was early afternoon so primetime west coast hours um it was it was early afternoon um where they they had their first like real statement win with Matthew Stafford this year and I do not think uh Tampa Bay is going to forget that lightly
2: No they they certainly will not uh and and they of course have been uh, on a roll uh, as, as they often are with, with Tom Brady. And yeah, it, again, it's just a very different thing. And, and it's hard to confuse Tom Brady. I mean, this is a guy who's seen literally everything um, on a football field, but if, if you can make him think it's, it's not so much the blitzing to me uh, b- because he's so good at picking that stuff up and, and dissecting what's coming and, and, and getting rid of the ball. You, you're not, you're not going to pressure him and rattle him and force him into mistakes, things like that. I mean, That is very very unlikely to happen. Uh, What you have to hope for is just to to try to make him see things that aren't there, or try to make him see things that are different uh, than are actually there. And the Rams were able to do that, as you said, Jordan, at at times in that in that first game. And that that's really what you have to do. So they certainly have the ability to do that. I think you have to be encouraged by the way the secondary played. If they can get Taylor Rapp back out of the uh, concussion protocol, then that's just one more uh, weapon. Uh, back there in that secondary, because that's just going to be so important. And of course, you know, I'm not saying the pressure is not important. The pressure is important, uh, but it, it's coupling that with with the stuff that you can do on the back end to just not make it easy for Tom Brady uh, to to process what what he's seeing. So uh, I think that'll be important, uh, just as it was in the first game, uh, thirty four to twenty four. That game was wow. That seems like it was seems like it was years and years and years ago.
1: Yeah, don't even don't th- try not to think about the one in twenty twenty. You'll feel like it, you weren't even, you know. I
2: don't even remember You were uh, it. Yeah.
1: in the womb still <laughs> when that one happened. <laughs> and the other
2: thing is shutting down that run game, too. You, you talked about the, the some of the problems that they've had up front, the, the Buccaneers. And uh, the, Tampa just had no running game at all in that in that first matchup, as I uh, remember, which also uh, puts you in an advantageous situation if, if you're a defense. So um, same thing happened here against uh, Arizona. I mean, the Rams did a very good job of, of not letting the Cardinals get going on the ground and, and of course when they got into a 14 nothing, 21 nothing lead uh, that helped them even further because Arizona was in catch-up mode so uh, a great formula and uh, no guarantees that'll be replicated but uh, certainly hats off to everybody involved because uh, you really couldn't have asked for, for a whole lot more and uh, you know Jordan talking about gosh there's, there's just so much to, to kind of talk about here but I, I just cannot really um, Wrap my head around Cam Akers, and uh, you know you've been on this story from the beginning, from when we first heard that there was a possibility that Cam Akers might be able to come back, and we all kind of thought, "What? How? (laughs) A torn Achilles? We're not supposed to see this guy until like OTAs."
1: I was like, "All right, Sean, I'll write it, but I'm not sure." Yeah, it's it's
2: it's like (laughs) what. (laughs) <laughs> and then not only to be on the field, uh, but, but 17 carries, uh, in, in this game against the Cardinals and just, and a couple more that I, I don't, I, I have my play by play, but a couple more that got called back that, that would have pushed that total, that yards total, uh, even higher beyond that Jordan, just the, uh, the, the strength that he ran with. I mean, don't even look at the numbers, okay? I mean, he rushed for 55 yards, but look at the way that he ran the ball, the confidence that he ran with. It was beyond my expectations. I don't. You, you ran a great story, uh, I, I believe it was on Monday. I don't know whether it got published Sunday or Monday, but it, a, a tremendous story breaking down uh, how that happened, how he was able to come back. But I'll be honest, Jordan, I did not expect to see Cam Akers look as strong as he did on Monday.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, this is something that, uh, well, first of all, I'm glad that we decided we ha- we were working on the story for quite some time. I'm glad we decided to publish Monday instead of waiting because then Cam Akers just proved it absolutely um, to the effect of, you know, 95 scrimmage yards plus several more that were called back, as you said. Um, but also the things he was doing, like there was a blitz pickup. Um, in the first, I think it was the first half that he had. Maybe it was the third quarter. I can't remember right now. Um, but there was a blitz pickup he had in in pass pro that the the Cardinals defender looked like he ran into a brick wall. Like it was so physical and his his um aggr- sort of aggressive explosiveness and. Um, just relentlessness that he ran with. And there's a lot of it to the importance too, is that it added uh, diversity to the run game. A Very, very small nuance. That's super, super important that we've talked about in the past where, and this is, again, I I will say too, this is a huge credit to Thomas Brown and should probably get more attention than currently. Uh, There's a lot of things that deserve attention right now, but this is a huge credit to Thomas Brown for helping build this plan is, you know, Sony Michelle is going to be like your heartbeat guy, where he's just going to chip and chip and chip and chip and chip away at a defensive front in a physical way, in a wearing way. And that's one layer that, yes, you do need and you want to have that. And that's not to say Cam Akers cannot do that, but if you have a guy in Sony Michelle who can do that, and you can also efficiently rep in your explosive and versatile back that Cam Akers is, and then you can sort of pick your spots for your explosives and keep a defense off balance. I mean, I just thought that was as well an executed run game as we're going to see from, from the Rams yesterday. And, and, you know, that's, defensive front. I mean, that, that, that Cardinals defensive front. I mean, I know again, like everybody's banged up this time of year, they're banged up and, and trying to feel out, you know, how well JJ Watt could, could maneuver and sort of come back after that big injury. And, and I get there were a lot of moving parts, but man, that's not, you know, playoff defensive front, you're not going to sneeze at it. Right. And, and this is, this was an impressive run game in the, in the nuance of those, uh, of, of that diversity in that, in that plan. And the way that those spots were picked, I thought was really well done. Like that was just a really well-built plan in that regard. And it skewed and it also skewed as it should because of some of the deficiencies um, in that area that the Rams had seen on tape uh, from the opponent. It should have, it it rightfully skewed toward that run game, um, even in the first half when they yes, had built a substantial lead, but also went into um, more of that sort of like patient aggression mode that we talked about earlier. And, and Matthew Stafford was able to really efficiently maximize the spots he did get in the passing game and pick those spots and importantly play really clean football. And it all ties together. It really does. And that uh, diversity of that run game, like you can't do that without Cam Akers being as healthy as he was. Now, Rich, one of the things that I was hoping people picked up on in the story that I wrote about Cam um, on Monday morning was that it's very, very obvious and clear some of the things that we had speculated about earlier in the year about pitch counts and the sports science management of that workload. What I learned through the reporting of this piece, something that, again, you'd suspected for a while because, you know, this, this group is pretty cutting edge, but something that I learned is how literally every movement from, um, you know, hanging out at the facility to practice, to weightlifting sessions, to full-on games, every movement is monitored and tracked in terms of what the energy output is, um, what the force exerted is, what it's doing to your, you know, everything right down to your blood and your cells, like everything is being tracked, right? And, And so you're able to build a and sort of maximize what a safe workload would be based on where that player's at. That's why I I truly believe that's why we saw what we saw in terms of Daryl Henderson snaps and sort of that herky jerky like, you know, it's start, stop, start, stop early in the year, because I I truly believe that they were sort of handicapped by um needing to make sure they picked their spots and adhered to that workload out of safety and making sure that they could keep them on the field for multiple games at a time based on that understanding and on that data. And these guys are working with the coaching staff every week to build this plan. And they did so with cam Akers yesterday. That was one of the more fascinating things. I, I don't know the metrics. They built the program themselves in house. They built those metrics after you know, seven to 10 years of, of data. And that's Tyler Williams. Who's their, their lead sports scientist on that working with Reggie Scott I think that's fascinating. That is so fascinating. And this was only, this is a remarkable story. This is only the tip of the iceberg uh, of what we know about what they're doing, um, sort of behind closed doors in that regard. But I thought that was so fascinating. And you, you saw it all come together, the sports science part of it. Um, really innovative surgery that cam makers had. Um, they, uh, Dr. Neil Eltrash, who you might recognize because he does a lot of really well-known um, surgeries, particularly Achilles. Um, he did Kelsey Plum's Achilles. He he fixed uh Kobe Bryant's Achilles with a different, slightly different technique uh, back in 2013. Um, he did to- one of Tom Brady's repairs, I think, on his knee. Um, well-respected, well-renowned surgeon, and and the Rams, uh, the Rams leads lead. Lead surgeon and team doctor, um, he performed this technique called internal bracing. So you repair you repair the tendon, um, which a lot of surgeons and a a third party consultant that I had helped me with this story kind of explained some of the medical terms. Um, They uh, you you kind of it's like tying the ends of two mops together when you do a normal Achilles repair. Like you 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 sew all the tendons together, and 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 that's the quote unquote repair. The internal bracing places a sort of wrap or a large suture around that repair that's built specifically, designed specifically um, in a way that absorbs force and absorbs tension so that it will absorb any tension placed on the leg or the foot. That suture specifically will, um, or that brace specifically will absorb all of that while the tendon itself can fully repair underneath it without any of that Load and so normally you you worry so much about placing any workload on that tendon after repair without the internal brace, which is the traditional way of doing the surgery. Um, without the brace, you have to have your leg in a walking boot for like six to eight weeks, and you cannot really move because of the force exerted on the tendon. And then the rest of your leg atrophies, and you lose every all your everything. Um, and and what they found is it takes twice as long. Uh, you for every one day. You're not using that muscle. Uh, it takes two to three days to replace it, so that's what usually had extended the time in the past. And so, what this was, if if you look at the uh, the the uh, the recovery time, Cam Akers instead is is able to first of all be out of the boot in less than four weeks and walking, and they did not notice much atrophy, and it was quickly repaired and, and filled out within a matter of, of days, if not weeks. Um, but also, uh, they were able to do different, um, sort of blood techniques and, and things that, uh, synthesize high intensity workouts because he had the brace around the, around the repair, synthesize, um, you know, high intensity workout Workloads within the body without putting the the workload onto the leg or the ankle itself, and so that also helped him, you know, not atrophy. And, and that's really in the recovery time. That's the big fear is, is uh, you know, all of the all of the ripple effect that injury has while the injury itself is so delicate. And that to me is just astounding because they're essentially. Building that and then using the the results that they get from each step of the process to then add or remove different steps along the way, Uh, adding or removing fortuitous movements based on energy output, based on where he was at. The previous step of the process in the rehab process. Um, and then Cam Akers, you know, that, that was huge for him personally. I mean, he attacked that rehab, you know, that's like, that's your entire day round the clock, 24, seven, they're monitoring his sleep. He's on an anti-inflammatory meal plan, uh, courtesy of Joy Blake, the Rams nutritionist. Um, he's on a mus- muscle tissue repair meal plan. Um, he is on, uh, this insane PT with Byron Cunningham, who is like, the nicest and most cheerful guy in the world, but man, he will keep you on schedule <laughs> and um, and and just really innovative stuff. They were working with an anti-gravity treadmill um, so they could measure at what percent body weight he was at at certain miles per hour and then measure the output from all of that. And he had a, a miniature replica of the Rams training room set up in his house. I mean, it just – the whole thing, please go read it, guys. The whole thing is astounding. I've seen a lot of tweets, not from you guys. You guys would never do this. I've seen a lot of tweets out there that's like, how did this happen? And I'm like, it's all right here. So you, you guys go read the story. Please, please, please read the story. It is a fascinating, it was a fascinating write for me. Um, again, the culmination of a lot of months poking around probably where my nose didn't belong um, and, and asking questions about things and then finally being able to get a couple people on the record talking about it. I'm really grateful for that. And Cam Akers, what, what an astounding uh, – it's, it's not astounding to him because he knew after a month that he could maybe do this. Um, but what a remarkable, remarkable young man in terms of what he's able to have accomplished. Um, and a remarkable team around him all working in total sync um, to get this thing done.
2: Yeah, no question. Yeah, a a tremendous read, and and please... Do go find that. Uh, search for Cam Akers, The Athletic. It's a story that published Monday morning. So uh, it should be pretty easy to find. Um, the other thing is just uh, the press me about Cam is, is just the mental side of it, too, and, and trusting yourself. I mean, you, you can hear all these things. You can feel confident. You can hear doctors tell you, or trainers, or coaches, or what, okay, you can do this, you can do this. But putting yourself in that mindset, I've, I've never done it myself, obviously, but talk to enough athletes to know that uh, until you Get actually get out there, you just don't know. Uh, you don't know how you're going to process that until you, uh, you know, try to put your foot that foot in the ground and make that cut for the first time, or until you, you take a hit, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but Cam Akers look like if you didn't know. You would never know that that he what he had gone through, uh, the injury, the recovery, everything. You just wouldn't know, and that's probably the highest compliment I can pay him is that he looked like somebody who had not missed a beat, even though he had gone through a very, very traumatic injury and a very difficult uh, comeback, a very difficult rehab, as, as you have detailed. I have to say, Jordan, and this is a this might sound like a weird tangent, but I, I think Rams fans will kind of understand. I I thought in reading your story and and in kind of Processing all of this, I, I couldn't help but think about Todd Gurley yeah. and uh, you know the way that that went. I don't know how that has evolved in the in the last couple of years um, to where they they are now a, a totally different situation. By the way, you're talking about a torn Achilles, something that was that you that you can fix that that will heal in a certain timeline versus whatever it is that was slash is going on with Todd Gurley's knee. Uh, but but I thought about it in terms of uh, especially that pitch count that you mentioned and being able to track so much of this and and have a plan Um, I don't know how much of that the Rams tried to do with Todd Gurley I don't know how into that Todd Gurley might have been there's a lot of that I that's going to be the one story that kind of keeps me me up at night through the rest of my career is trying to figure out what exactly happened there Um, and of course it's in the past it doesn't matter but but reading this Cam Akers stuff was just like Wow. I mean, everybody was right on this. I mean, everybody was making cutting edge decisions, the right decisions. Everybody was working hard, starting with Cam Akers to get back here. And, you know, you saw it. You saw what an element he he can now bring to this offense and mentions Jordan, how we don't know. What the the what the defense did, whether or not that's sustainable from week to week. But I'll tell you what, what Cam Akers did and what they did in that run game, that is sustainable from yeah. from week to week, and that's something that you can feel really good about. You mentioned uh, the the way that they implemented that uh, I I of course had to be cheeky on Twitter and, and note that the Rams <laughs> ran really? yeah I know I, it's I a new do. thing it's a new thing I'm trying out but uh, they, they ran the ball 38 times and passed it 17 times now yes when you build a 21 to nothing halftime lead and then a 28 to nothing lead yes you're going to run the ball more but Jordan I think you mentioned it a, a couple minutes ago I mean look at the way the first couple drives went even though there was a punt on the first drive they ran it uh, two out of four plays. The second drive, a touchdown drive, was very run heavy with Cam Akers. The third drive, the second touchdown drive, also very run heavy with Cam Akers. And it it was a balance and and maybe to pivot a little bit here, Jordan. I, I think you mentioned it, um what it did for Matthew Stafford. And and what it did for that offense in general, uh, he did not need to be. I think you used the phrase in your in your pile column, uh, hero ball. He, he did, <laughs> it didn't it didn't need to be hero ball. Matthew Stafford. He played very within himself. He did not have any interceptions. He did not put the ball in uh, in difficult in bad positions. Um, it was a very disciplined, uh, smart play by Matthew Stafford. And I think that's what it is here, right? It's just marrying those two. It's not one or the other. It's not, oh, the Rams have to run the ball a lot. They have to pass the ball a lot. No, it's it's marrying those two and having them complement each other. And I think, gosh, I really think that the Rams did as good a job in this game as, as they have all year in those kind of concepts
1: yeah real quick one one more note really quick if you go and look the Rams tweeted out a picture of cam yesterday um in the locker room he got a game ball yeah. um the thing he is wearing he's wearing two things one is it you can kind of see it in an armband around his arm and then you can also see the thing that's sort of uh draped over the top of his of his chest those are the thing those are the tracking devices. So he's still being there. They're me- It's just, ah, I want to know so much more about it. You guys yeah. just tell me about it. Damn it. Like <laughs> nobody will tell me about it, <laughs> like, but it, it really is like, it's such fascinating stuff. It is. It's, it's so, so interesting. And obviously it's a huge competitive advantage, which again, I'm tongue in cheek. This is why they are not making those things public, right. but, um, but it's a huge competitive advantage. And, and I also think one more to your other point. I will say this. I was not here when when the Todd Gurley situation happened. I know, though, that that was so messy and disheartening and uh, misleading in certain ways and and all of that. Um, I will say that I think getting to know Reggie Scott a little bit over the last two years, I I could project, without putting words in his mouth, of course, but my own hypothesis, I could project that that he really took that internally and almost like, I never want to have that happen to a guy ever again. Right. Um, because that's the kind of person that he is, honestly, and genuinely. I, w- I would say among the people who are most important to this organization, Reggie Scott, uh, they yeah. just have to like wrap him in bubble wrap and hide <laughs> him away. Like he, I mean, just, and, and I would also say just the relationship he has with players. You could tell through the course of this process how invested personally, emotionally he was um, in that process. And I do wonder psychologically if part of that, and including certain things that the Rams did, like um, activating Cam with three games left so that he could qualify for the pension credit, even though they knew he wasn't going to play till the very, very end of the year, if not the playoffs. Um, I wonder if psychologically a couple of those things are, um, we we need to try to get this right. We right. We didn't get it right before, and everybody knows it, and we need to try to get this right now. And so I, I do wonder about that. I'm, I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth, but I do. Yeah. That was a thought. Same as you, Rich. That was exactly what I thought um, writing this, writing the story um, to the Matthew Stafford point. You know, I saw a couple people. I I don't want to give attention to trolls, but I did see a lot of a couple of people being like, um, you know, Matthew Stafford didn't do anything special. And I'm kind of like, well, what game did you watch?
0: Yeah, right. Like, yeah. it's.
1: So he made. First of all, there were some difficult throws that he made. Uh, some pressure that he did have, um, but there are also decisions that he was faced with that he actively opted out of taking, and you could see it um, because it would have not been the, the smarter or more efficient decision in the time. And I think right. when you when you are actively ru- you're actively unlearning thirteen years of habits um that say no i have to pass the ball downfield because 13 years of just trying to win games out of sheer you know the tendons in my arm and desperation like that that is that is interesting to me in terms right. of the mental process and the and the the discipline you do have to have in that regard in in that game. And when they built this plan, don't think for a second that Matthew Stafford was not a part of that in terms of collaborating on the type of uh, of run game that they were going to have and collaborating with the type of pass game they were going to have. One thing I noticed is that. Um, they were doing a really good job of running other receivers out of Cooper Cup's concepts, which I think is really, really interesting uh, in terms of what we might look for down the stretch and what teams will have to account for on tape. A lot was made of the Odell play being out on tape. Sean McVay, very slyly in the post-game said, well, <laughs> we have a lot of guys who can throw the ball. Um, and, and so, again, like I don't think they were emptying the playbook by any means. I think that this was very much – this was a game that was – very insidious in terms of the plan. It, it was insidious in that it was a setup game in a lot of ways of of what teams think they have to prepare for. And you could almost see the types of pivots and, and expansions that were possible within a lot of the play design and a lot of the structure. And I think that that was really, really one of the coolest things about watching this plan was it was very, like, self-aware, right? Like, it was very, like... uh I'm not trying to be the smartest person in the room. I just happen to be, <laughs> you know. And yeah. and I thought that that was really fascinating. Matthew Stafford uh, made the throws that he needed to make. He made the decisions that he needed to make, and. In games like this where you are going to lean on your run plan, you need the quarterback to execute the game and make the throws that he needs to make and uh, and not turn the ball over and just do all of the things. It's Sometimes it's really not about him. And and what was really interesting was how settled he seemed to be. Even when he was t- taking a couple of those sacks instead of throwing the ball downfield, you never felt a rattle uh, quite opposite to the other side of the ball where you just felt like Kyler Murray was panicking from, from the jump. Um, with, with Matthew Stafford, you know, so much was made about like his, you know, his first playoff win and prime time and, you know, oh, you know, can he do it and all this stuff. And it was kind of just like, he was so within himself and within the structure of what that plan dictated. That plan did not ask him to be a hero. That plan did not, did not ask him to, um, you know, make some of those only, only deep shot on third down plays like it, it didn't ask any of that of him. It did happen sometimes as a as a, a you know product of great play design and guys being open and decisions being taken, but it didn't it didn't force anything. And sometimes that is the most important way for a quarterback to win games. And so I think you know I, I was kind of stunned seeing some of that come. I was like, no, this is just another layer of the versatility this guy brings, it shows he set this bar for himself. It shows he can do something like this. If that is what the plan dictates, it's clear from the pass run skew or the run pass skew specifically that they never intended him for him. This was their A plus plan. They never intended for him to go out there and throw the ball a hundred times. They wanted to make sure that they could get it done on the ground in a in a right. dominating way. And they did. And And so when you can do that what you ask of your quarterback is exactly what I described a couple seconds ago is to make the right decisions, to make really, really sound throws. Um, Matthew Stafford only, in comple- only had four incompletions. Three of them were drops. Um, he made all his throws. He 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 maximized the efficiency window with the throws that he was asked to make and, and w- were selected for him to make. You cannot ask for much more from your quarterback in that regard. <laughs>
2: yeah and that is very well said and and yeah that that bothers me just in, and not just Matthew Stafford but with the idea oh well he didn't he didn't do anything special in that game he didn't he didn't win the game well yeah but he didn't lose the game and like there's something to be said for that and I, and I think people and I'm not generalizing uh, but I'm not trying to you know slap everybody down but like uh, you know it, it's it's fun to watch quarterbacks go out there and do amazing things right like it's fun to watch a Patrick Mahomes take the Chiefs on his back sometimes and, and do fantastic things. It's fun to see, you know, what Joe Burrow did and make some of the throws that that he made. But that's not really your formula. Like if, if you're relying on that, you, the thing to me is you want to you want your quarterback to have that ability. But I don't think you want to rely on it week after week. You don't want to go into a game saying, all right. Quarterback, it's all on you. You're going to be the hero this week, and you need to go out there and and sling the ball all over the field and throw for 450 and four touchdowns, and you need to win us the game. Like it's it's great when your quarterback has that ability, and I I think if you're a, a Super Bowl team you need your quarterback to have that ability but it's not something you need to look at every week and say oh well he wasn't special. Matthew Staver did exactly what he was supposed to do in this game with this game plan with the way that it played out. He didn't make mistakes and that was a one uh, that that he needed to accomplish. We talked all about these interceptions pick sixes, whatever it may be. He did not make mistakes, and he played within himself, and he played within that offense. I mean, you look at like, uh, Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady is a great example. How many times does Tom Brady go out there and take over a game and just, you know, oh, I'm going to put the bucks on my back. No, he makes the smart plays. He does what's asked of him within the within the flow of the offense and the game plan, and that, to me, that's exactly what you want out of Matthew Stafford. He did make some plays down the field. Uh, he did make some big throws on third down. He did a good job of recognizing a guy like Tyler Higbee uh, when when he was in advantageous situations to, to make catches. He did what you want him to do, and, and I think going forward, that's the one thing you're, you're going to need to watch. Yes, you want him to be able to make that hero ball throw when it's absolutely needed, when when the situation dictates it. But for the most part, for the other 90 95% of the game, I think you want him to play smart and within himself and not make mistakes. And that's exactly what he did. So if you can get that version of Matthew Stafford, take the stats out of it, take the numbers out of it. But if you can get that version of him, then then I think that bodes very, very well going forward.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's a solid... I mean, you need to be able to win games like this this time of year. Um, it, it, not, you know, Monday night football game. I'm talking about games in this manner. You need to be able right. to win games in this manner. You can't be anxiety, chaos, desperation, football, darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford. And right. Sustainably win. We, we know that. We understand that. You guys all know that. You guys all understand that. And I think, it, again, it, you know, their game plan won't be the same, obviously, against Tampa Bay. They're going to be facing a a really tough defense uh, and, and one that's very multiple, one that uh, does such a great job, um, facing difficulties on both sides of the ball, obviously. Um and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. It's going to be different. But the baseline of it, diversity in the run game, small detail. We talked last week about how it must have just driven Sean McVay freaking nuts that Kyle Shanahan could add just one very small wrinkle in his run game, those toss and pitch plays that absolutely wreaked such havoc um, on the Rams. And Sean McVay turns around and says, what do I have in my arsenal that I can do that I can do that, not necessarily that it will look exactly like that, but a small nuance, a small shift, a tweak in my run game that will wreak havoc on a front because they cannot adjust to it, and that's what you saw with the combination of of Sony and Cam. That's what it's supposed to look like when it's. Uh, I hate the fr- I hate the by committee phrase, but yeah. like that's what it's supposed to look like when you have a, a diverse running game in that regard, and, and you have a two back two back system that Sean McVay has been just frothing to use, um, for the entire year and just, and really was not able to. And again, until this, this last week, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it was always supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you wait, you wait the year for that and and you have one remarkable recovery, um, and route to doing that. But I think that's, that's the biggest, one of the biggest things is, um, Regardless of how the plan shifts, regardless of what they set up in this game in their passing game uh, in terms of how how they can pivot and tweak uh, those things and and find those nuances down the stretch in regards to all of that, like no matter what happens there, those those phases uh, of what they did uh, Monday night against the Cardinals, that will win you games down the stretch consistently. That will give you a chance every single time diversity in your run game. Um, to that effect, to that level, and really consistent, um, accountable, decisive, and calm play from the quarterback.
2: And we'll see if it can continue. Great matchups. Wow. I love these two NFC playoff games. Uh, rams buccaneers Hackers, 49ers, great matchups of styles, some great quarterbacks in these games, teams that are a 49ers team that really seems to be finding itself. I know Rams fans don't like to hear that, but uh, really impressed with, with the way that they have played uh, over over the last um, uh, couple weeks, especially. And gosh, just sets up really well. You know, if, if the if the Rams are able to win this game, uh, what a remarkable NFC Championship game it would be either way. Rams Packers or Rams 49ers, 1989. I know people out there, those of us who are old, uh, remember 1989 NFC Championship game, Rams 49 40- Niners uh, would, would love to see that again, but getting past the Buccaneers will, will not be an easy thing. Eliminating Tom Brady is not an easy thing to do. Um, so, fascinated to see how this goes. Short week, Jordan. You'll be hitting the coffee all week. I know. Um, <laughs> very excited to, to see what you're going to be bringing Rams fans. Of course, you already mentioned on Twitter. All day, every day at Jordan Rodrigue. But what you really want to do is make sure that you don't miss any more of these great stories like the Cam Akers feature, like everything Jordan's been doing on the Rams defense all season, the great post game stories. And the way that you can do that is, of course, go to theathletic.com slash 11personnel. And if you haven't already signed up, you can get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what?
1: A lateral pass play?
2: <laughs> That's his second favorite thing in the
1: world. <laughs> A great discount, you guys. Every time you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personal Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Yes, every single time. We're still trying to sneak that one under, under the rug there so our bosses don't catch on. Uh, you get a great <laughs> discount every single time. Um, this is exciting stuff, guys. We're, we're really um, we're flooding the lane here as, as playoffs continue. I'll be in Tampa Bay, um, you know, everything willing. And uh, looking forward to bringing you guys some coverage there. And it's going to be a difficult one. And I'm glad to have you all along for the ride. And we'll catch you next week.